Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we have the great opportunity to talk about a narrative in the life of Jesus. We are talking about, specifically, the Perean ministry of Jesus, as well as his visit to Bethany near Jerusalem. So what's interesting about both of these things is this Perean ministry really starts, uh, if you don't know, Perea is a geographical location that was on the other side of the Jordan River, actually was used commonly if Jews were traveling from Judea to Galilee, they would go through Perea and not necessarily through Samaria. So Jesus is visiting Perea. We see in the end of John chapter 10, verse 40, that he goes to the place where John first baptized. Now, this, in my opinion, is likely the area known as Bethany beyond the Jordan, which might be a little confusing if you know Bethany from another narrative in the Bible that is very well known. Bethany was, of course, the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and that's where we see Lazarus being resurrected. But Jesus first travels to the Bethany beyond the Jordan. So the Bethany of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha is right by Jerusalem and was used kind of for Jesus as a launching point for his last week on earth, which we are going to talk about that later as we get further along in the series. And then the Bethany beyond the Jordan is obviously on the other side of the Jordan River and is where John first baptized, likely where John died, and now where Jesus has traveled to in the end of John chapter 10 and where he starts his Perean ministry. So during this ministry, this period, right, we've talked about his Galilean ministry, his Judean ministry, and now he comes into this moment of ministry in Perea, where, of course, we see he is healing several people. He heals four people during this time. But Jesus also begins to teach a lot, and he almost comes across as a little more urgent in his teaching or a little more uh, pointed in some of the things he's saying. He's not necessarily, if you can remember preaching to Pharisees and Sadducees who had given into apostasy, but he is talking to just regular people living on the countryside. And we can't talk about every event, obviously, but one event that happens is he's uh, approached by a group of people who tell him that he's been threatened to be killed by Herod. But Jesus kind of is aggravated at hearing this and replies to them that he knew he had to die in Jerusalem. And so he would be leaving in just a short amount of time. This period of Perean ministry lasted for about three or four months before Jesus would go back to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. He then later at another time rebuked his disciples and people who were gathered around him when they tried to separate him from the children who wanted to come see him. And of course, we all know this narrative and Jesus says to let the children come to him. And he tells them that if anyone is going to receive in faith the kingdom that he's been offering from the very beginning of his ministry, they're going to have to approach him like a child. As some have said, with that childlike faith that we have when we first believe. It is during this period of ministry where Jesus is healing, he's teaching, he's doing so many things where Jesus receives word about Lazarus's sickness. Lazarus from that other Bethany had fallen sick and Mary and Martha send word. Jesus hears about this 
and it seems that he would be troubled, but he decides to stay for two more days in the place where he already is. And he famously says that this sickness is not unto death, but that the glory of God could be revealed. His disciples doubt him when he says that they should return to Bethany. And they uh, think that he's making a mistake. And Thomas even speaks up and says, well, I guess we should go back with him to Jerusalem so that we can die with him. And some people are divided on how they view this part of scripture. Me as a sarcastic person, I just view it as Thomas saying, yeah, that's a good idea, Jesus. Let's go back so we can die. But then he does actually follow him there. So I guess there is a chance that he could truly be saying, well, if Jesus wants me to go back and die, then that's ultimately what I'm going to do. So I don't know. You can you can read it either way you want, I guess. Although it's something you should avoid when you read the Bible. <laughs> but I choose to believe that he's being sarcastic. And I don't know if that's right or not. But it makes me feel like somebody like me could be saved. So Thomas doubts and Jesus travels back with his disciples. But it seems like he was late. Lazarus had died. And he's been lying in the tomb for four days. And Jesus shows up and the sisters, one by one, Mary and Martha, run out of the house. And they say the same thing to him at different times. If you had just been here, Lord, he would not have died. And Jesus groans at hearing this. And then he sees the sisters and the family and the friends weeping here at this funeral ceremony. And Jesus again groans and is troubled. And they told him to come and see the body. And Jesus then weeps. Some have argued that Jesus was weeping because he had lost a friend and that in his humanity, he was feeling the stage of grief. And I would say that I definitely think Jesus had access to those feelings, of course, and felt them at times, but he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So I have a hard time believing that he's truly groaning and weeping at the sight of his dead friend. Because as we know, and as Jesus says in this passage, he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And we will never truly die when we believe in Jesus. Because again, it goes back to that idea of separation. Physical death in the mind of Jesus is just a separation from our spirit or our soul from our mortal body. But we're never separated from our communion with the Lord. Although Lazarus may seem like he's dead to all the friends and family, Jesus, knowing that he was in that moment in paradise, is not groaning and weeping at that thought, at least in my opinion. But I believe that he is groaning and weeping at the doubt that he sees displayed before him. It mentions multiple times he sees the doubt, he sees the weeping, and it makes him groan and it troubles him. And finally, he tells the people to take the stone off of the tomb and they remove it. And he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And Jesus tells the friends and family who were gathered there to loose him and let him go. Jesus, after saying this, raising his friend from the dead, creates an even bigger name for himself through this miracle. Lazarus had caused so many others to believe. There's nothing like the testimony of one who is dead but now lives. So we see later in this chapter of John 11, the high priest gathered together, conspiring. And Caiaphas speaks up, the high priest if you don't know, and says that they should kill Jesus. 
The reason he cites as to this murderous intent is because he's worried that the Roman occupation, the people ruling over Jerusalem and all of Israel at this time, he's worried that they would quelch this rebellion with force, that they would see Jesus and how popular he is, and that they would crush Israel. Caiaphas says that he should kill Jesus so that the whole nation wouldn't perish. And this is where I'm choosing to leave off this pre in ministry. This was one moment where Jesus traveled back to Bethany to heal Lazarus. And we can see from the motive of the high priest and Caiaphas where we're heading to in our next series episode, where we'll be talking about the life of Jesus. So what are some of the takeaways from this pre in ministry and from this healing of Lazarus and from the plotting of Caiaphas? Well, number one, and if you want to hear a more detailed discussion on the healing of Lazarus, you can even find on this podcast earlier, one of the first episodes being Lazarus of Bethany, if you want to get more in detail, which I do there. The number one thing to me is, the first thing at least, is that the timing always seems weird in this story, in this narrative. And it just shows that Jesus doesn't operate on our schedule. He's not waiting around for when we would like things to be done, but he's totally comfortable showing up when he wants to show up so that the glory of God could be fully revealed in the way that he wants it to be revealed. Jesus also points out through his teaching in Perea and also through some of the things he says at this moment at the death side of Lazarus by saying that salvation has past, present, and future tenses. but He's offering salvation right now. As he said just a couple chapters before that, whoever was thirsty could come to him and drink. He's still extending that offer to everyone in this place. He's saying that if you want to be saved, you can. And when you are saved, you will never die. If you believe on me, you would have eternal life. That's just a fact that's emphatically stated throughout the life of Jesus and further on in the pastoral epistles and beyond. But that is some great news for all of us today, because I know as someone who tries to live for God, even though I I fall short many, many times, when I take my last breath in this life, I will take my next breath still in the presence of the Lord. There will never be one moment of separation. There just won't be. And I'm so thankful for that fact, that we will lose our mortal bodies if we should die and we won't be connected, but we will not be disconnected from the presence of God. And so we never will truly be dead. The body of someone is dying every day. Paul said that the outward man perishes every day. We all have that gradual process of aging that we don't like to talk about because it is kind of morbid, but we're all dying, at least in our fleshly bodies. But the soul will live forever. And when you put your soul in the hands of the Lord, you will never be separated from him. The next point is that Jesus is used to receiving negative responses. He's used to being doubted. He's used to being misconstrued. And he's always willing, though, to show truth, to do things that will vindicate him. Even in the midst of all the doubt around him, he's powerful enough to work on our lives if we have the strength to believe. Just as he said, if we believe, we can see the glory of God. We can see his goodness. We can see his mercy. 
We can see his provision. We can see all the miraculous things that God can do in our lives if we believe. Another powerful takeaway, and then we'll move on and talk a little bit about Caiaphas, is this. Lazarus is you, and Lazarus is me. We don't hear much about him before his encounter with Jesus, his process of dying, but we hear so much about his testimony later, and all the people around heard about his testimony. And so I would just encourage anyone listening to this podcast today, let that be true of you. It was ultimately this process in the life of Lazarus, him being raised up, and that being a testimony that caused Caiaphas to want to kill him and to want to kill Jesus. But this is what's funny and what we can take away from this narrative that we briefly spoke about is that Caiaphas was wrong in trying to kill Jesus. Of course, we know that. But he was so wrong, he was right. He literally said that it would be better to kill Jesus so that the whole nation wouldn't perish. But what he did not know is that killing Jesus wasn't going to free them from the threat of Roman tyranny, but that through Jesus' death and substitutionary sacrifice for man, he would free them from spiritual tyranny. Caiaphas, not even realizing what he was doing by suggesting to kill Jesus, somehow gets it right by saying that through his death, he would be able to save the whole nation. And that's true for all of us today. No matter what the enemy tries to do, no matter the work of the devil and evil, God is so able to turn everything around and work it together for our good. The plots and plans of the enemy cannot stop what God is doing, but he's able to take their efforts and use it to bring about ultimate glory in our lives. I hope you enjoyed talking about these narratives today and this period of ministry in Jesus' life. Be looking out for the next podcast episode we do. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible, and I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time, but in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.